Business is basically a sports team. If that quarterback's not performing, you got to put him on the bench and get somebody else. You got to trade him in the offseason. You have to perform. Your business is to win. A sports team business is to win. And if that person's not performing, it's your duty, it's your business to find somebody that will. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Forrest McGee. Forrest is a successful real estate investor. He's been successfully self-employed for 16 years, and within the last nine years, he started investing in real estate. Today, he is a very well-regarded real estate investor here in the Richmond, Virginia area. Today, we're talking about how he operates a profitable real estate transaction business in today's highly competitive market. These principles will apply to any market, no matter where you are. We're going through how he thinks about doing deals, how he focuses on what matters most to the other party in the transactions, to his sellers, how he can benefit them, and then, of course, how that leads back to him in growing his business, growing his reputation. Forrest is a well-regarded real estate investor here in the Richmond, Virginia area, where we're both based. He hosts an awesome mastermind event at his office, which is located in a private airplane hangar in an airport just outside of the Richmond, Virginia city limits. So great group of people. And again, he's a very well-regarded person in the real estate investing space here in Richmond, Virginia. And he has a lot of awesome lessons that he's going to share with you today. Mistakes that he made along the way, how he scaled his team and hired people, fired people. So many important lessons that you're going to learn so much. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor. I focus primarily on multifamily and self-storage investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much, you guys. I see all of your reviews. It always gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Forrest McGee. I'm very excited to bring this knowledge to you from a very well-regarded and experienced real estate investor here in the Richmond area. Without any further ado, here we go. Forrest, thanks so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about what you do in the real estate space here in the Richmond, Virginia area? Yeah, man. Thank you very much for having me, Taylor. So we are Forrest Boz Houses, and um, that's our brand. Our company name is CVA Homes LLC. We've been doing real estate since 2014 in Richmond, and we're a direct-to-seller home solution provider. That's what we do. We, you know, put a lot of, you know, fishing lines in the water and, you know, wait for people to, you know, bite on them. And then we just show them how we can, you know, be the solution to the, you know, issues that they have. Awesome. So for the listeners who don't know precisely what that means, can you walk us through the typical type of a deal you'll do just so we can give them an idea of what that would look like? Yeah. So somebody finds us on the internet nine times out of 10, that's how it works. We've invested pretty heavily in online presence. And so they find us on the internet, they either call us or they fill out a form 
And we respond to them and, you know, we just start up a conversation and we try to figure out what exactly is going on because, you know, our ad is going to say something like, you know, do you need to sell your house fast or cash offer for your house? And so when somebody responds to that, you know, they have a, they have a urgency, right? They have a need and we've chosen to work in that space because we basically have two, you know, two markets, right? We have cold market, which we could call prospecting. And then we have warm market, which is, you know, people that they know they have a problem and they're looking for a solution. They're actively looking for a solution. So they reach out to us and then we have a conversation and more often than not, you know, I tell this to our team all the time in training is it's not about the price, right? You know, there's, there's a little line in there that they can say, you know, how much do you want for your house? And, you know, that's more or less just a gauge for us to try to understand, you know, pretty quickly, you know, what the situation or the scenario is about, because we can look at one, two, three main street and they asked a hundred thousand dollars and we can see that is worth $50,000. We're going to have to try to understand, you know, why they're so off base or the other way around, they're asking 50 and it's worth a hundred. We might want to say, well, you know, well, tell us, you know, about the property and the condition. So, but more often than not, you know, the house is a roadblock to their solution. Okay. And so what we've done is we've really taken a lot of time to really figure out how we can be a solution provider. And that's what makes us different than other people, right? You, you know, I call them shiny shoe wholesalers, right? They go out there, they're on the phone or whatever. And they're like, Hey, you want a hundred thousand dollars for your house? All right. I'm gonna send you a contract right now. They've done nothing to see if that even solves their problem, because what if a hundred thousand dollars for that house did not solve their problem? What if they owed 120, right? And they didn't even know it, right? What if they had judgments? Would we really be serving our customers? Would we really be solving their problem if we don't go through our process and really identify, are they going to have the solution that they need by the offer that we provide? And sometimes the answer is no. I mean, a lot of times the answer is no. We don't buy most of the houses that we see. But when we do solve problems, you know, we get good Google reviews, we get good Facebook reviews, we get text messages, we get phone calls saying, thank you. Thank you so much. Right. You guys have really been a blessing, right? We, we took a creative deal last week and, you know, the, you know, the lady said, you know, you guys have really been a blessing. You're a godsend. And I really appreciate you helping me out. She got medically hurt right after the, the month after she bought her house, hadn't even made one payment. And we were able to go in there and get the, get the mortgage right. And she bought that house in August, hadn't made one payment. And we bought it last week, you know, just subject to the mortgage, but don't tell anybody we said that. Right? So we were able to solve problems, <laughs> right? We're, we're able to solve problems. But had we gone in there and she said, I want $100,000 for my house and that didn't solve her problem, right? So she didn't have any money, right? There's no equity, right? She was a first time home buyer, had a little to no money down loan. There's no equity there. She wouldn't need to take ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 to the closing table that she didn't have because she couldn't even pay her mortgage. So what would a cash offer have done, right? So if, if our sales process hadn't have gone through to truly find the need and the solution that we can provide by being a full service company, we wouldn't be serving our customers properly. We'd just be throwing out numbers, throwing stuff against the wall and seeing if anything sticks, running around the internet with a piece of paper going, I got something to sell, right? Anybody want this piece of paper? So that is one of my concerns about the wholesaling area, whole market or thought leadership area in general, is there a lot of folks out there who just seem to be trying to, for want of a better phrase, just trying to look to take advantage of distressed sellers and not help them out of the situation that they're in? And I wonder if that's because those folks think that, think that that's the only way 
that they can make money in the business rather than focusing on benefiting the seller, solving the seller's problem as a way to make money and do good business and also grow your business over time. Well, I don't think that people look at this as a business. So to to answer your question, okay, I don't think that wholesalers look at this as a business and you can look at it by their names, okay? It's, you know, XYZ Investment Company or it's Property Investments or it's King's Investments. If, if, I, if that's your name, I'm sorry. Right. But the point is, is, you know, it's, it's Mr. <laughs> Investment Company, right. Or, you know, so forth. Right. And then you get, you know, to some people who this is a business model and you don't see that name, right. You don't see investments in our name because we're not an investing company. We're a transactional company. We do flip, right. We do buy and hold and other entities, but our business model is based off a of transactional. And even when we flip, that's not really I mean, you can call it an investment, but if you wanted to look up the investment you know, definition, that would be holding something over a certain amount of time for an expected, you know, positive return. And so when we're flipping, we're adding value, right? You know, or, you know, we're upgrading a house when we're wholesaling or wholetailing, you know, those terms, you know, if you don't know what they are, they're, they're not different. So wholesaling is we're assigning a contract and wholetailing is when we take title and do as little possible as we can and then relist it on the MLS. However, that's a transactional business and it's a business and to do it well, to serve the customer, you got to have some meat behind you. You got to have a team, right? You got to have a lawyer on your side. You know, we have one of the best attorneys in Richmond that we work side by side. Every deal that we put, you know, goes through them unless we know the other person well enough to let them take it to their title company or something like that. So pretty much almost, you know, over 90% of our deals are going through the same attorney. And so it's a singular point of contact. And, you know, these investors that we get in the marketplace, you know, that are new or whatever, they're not looking at it as a business. They're looking at it as I'm a real estate investor, but they're not. And, and that's just how they're taught, right? They're, they're taught to learn this business through wholesaling is the easiest way. And, and I don't disagree with that. I just think there needs to be a higher level of professionalism because, you know, the hardest part in this business is getting it right the first time getting a, a, a sellable contract the first time, right? Not having to renegotiate. I mean, that happens sometimes, right? But it shouldn't be a business model. You know, what most people do is they have a conversation. They say, oh, you want $100,000 for your house? Okay, here's a contract, right? But they've done no due diligence. They, you know, they have no buyer's list. I mean, we get this all the time. They like click on our ads and cost us hundreds of dollars because they don't even know what a PPC lead is, a PPC ad is versus a organic search. They're just searching who buys houses in Richmond and they're seeing our ad and other people's ads. They're spending our money and they're calling us up going, Hey, I got a contract, <laughs> you know? And you're like, well, that's great, man. You know, now what are you going to do with it besides spend everybody's money? And we actually, I mean, if they do <laughs> my ad, I'll tell them, I said, you clicked on my ad and you cost me and I'll go into at my back office and Google. And I say, you just cost me $220 to try to sell me something. I said, no, this, don't click on the ones with a little rectangle or the little square that says add, okay? And, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging when you have these kind of people like it, but you have CarMax and then you have, you know, dudes on Craigslist selling cars, right? I mean, in any <laughs> industry, in any industry, you're going to have professionals and you're going to have, you know, non-professionals and newbies, right? And who's to say that that person on Craigslist in 10 years isn't going to be CarMax direct competition? You never know. 
that's a that's a great point. So over the past few few years since COVID, well, really for quite a long time in the Richmond area, we've had a very competitive housing market. I'd say probably the whole time that you've been a real estate investor, certainly the whole time I've been a real estate investor, it's been competitive here and it's only gotten more competitive over time. How have you built your business and systems and hired people to make sure you remain competitive and, and continue to be able to do deals and, and scale your business without you know, scaling your, your time and, and headaches in your business? Yeah, we've just had to get better, right? That's the simple, that's the simple thing. Simple answer is our marketing had to get better. We had to spend more money and we had to get better in order to have a return on our investment, right? Our marketing dollars that we put out there, it, it's, it's futile if you can't convert, right? If you can't get that into a workable deal, then you could spend all the money that you want. All the top real estate professionals in Richmond are spending a lot of time learning and getting better and training their sales team. And so that's how we do it. We just get better. And if you, you know, if you're not involved with, you know, masterminds and communities that help you to get better and, and teach you what you don't know, you you know, you're going to get frustrated and you're going to upset people with, you know, commitments that you can't follow through with. And then, you know, the industry suffers and you suffer and then you end up going back to your old job. So who was the first hire that you made? for your team? What do they do? Somebody take my phone calls. You know, that is my least favorite thing in the entire world is dealing with qualifying people. You know, as a, as a business owner, you know, we only have so much time in a day and we have certain priorities that just have to be accomplished. Right. And so I just, you know, sat down one day, look, you know, I, I don't invent anything we're talking about here. Right. I've learned from everybody. Okay. And so, you know, Trevor from carrot, you know, he said, you have this energy audit, you know, write down on one page what you like and what you're good at and write down what you're not good at and start delegating that crap out. And so <clears throat> I hate qualifying people. I hate people calling me up and saying, don't talk to me again, or I want a million dollars or whatever. You know, I want the bleeders. I want the ones that I truly can help and have the highest probability of success because that's all the time I have. And so those People are going to go find somebody else if I'm sitting there getting all my time sucked and my energy sucked from that. So my first hire was somebody to qualify my leads and cherry pick them for me. So we would call it a lead manager in our business. Okay. And who was the first person that you fired? I think that's almost more important than your first hire is the ability to terminate somebody who's not the right fit. Yeah, well, that's hard to say. I'm going to say the first person I fired was myself. And so I'll fire myself from things and not allow myself. And I will tell my team, don't give me this, right? Don't, don't do this. But, you know, real estate is my most recent business. I've been doing real estate for nine years, but you know, this week we just celebrated my 16th year of my construction company. So before this, my previous career, I was a general contractor, an electrical contractor, and I still am. I still have it. We still use it every once in a while. We use it for our flips and so forth, you know, for permits and so forth. Because it's once you get a class A general contracting license with a BLD and a master electrical license and all these classifications, you can't let that go. I mean, they're just too valuable, right? You just, it's just too valuable to let that go. I mean, we can build a house from the ground up. You know, the only thing we can't permit is plumbing and mechanical. And so you can't let that go. 
that that's just too valuable of a resource. So for 16 years, I've been self-employed. And then before that, you know, I was an operations manager with my father at the age of 22 and his electrical contracting business. So I started hiring and firing people at 22 years old. And, you know, my, my dad taught, you know, the first couple of times was, it was rough, right? You know, it, it's, it's hard because you've, you've been buddies with these people or you know them, you know, their family, you know, their kids. And now you have to tell them they have to go find another means to put food on the table. It's a very serious responsibility and it starts with the hiring process, right? You know, you want to hire for success. You don't want to hire out of necessity because you need to know that one day you're probably this person's not going to work for you anymore. And it's either going to be, you know, because they left or you told them to leave. And so there's a lot of responsibility there. And I learned that at a very young age, but also another thing my father taught me was that look at this, you, you have to be willing to fire. Okay. You have to be willing to upgrade. He taught me that business is basically a sports team, right? You know, if that quarterback's not performing, you got to put him on the bench and get somebody else. You got to trade him in the off season. You got, you got, you have to perform. Your business is to win. A sports team business is to win. And if that person's not performing, it's your duty. It's your business to find somebody that will. And it can be, it can be tough to do that, but it's a, it's an important lesson to learn. So shifting gears a little bit, I think folks, when they are getting started and they see successful people who are successful in real estate, they kind of tend to assume that, Hey, maybe it's, you know, it's been such an up market. It's been such a cakewalk. This has, guy hasn't you know, learn tough lessons, hasn't had deals go wrong and so on. And we were talking a little bit before we started recording about your first deal nine years ago. I wonder if we could go through that and teach the listeners about how that went, what went wrong and, you know, important lessons that you learned along the way. Yeah, man, if there's, if there's a lesson to be made, you know, I've made it right. Or, or I've learned it and I've learned it the hard way. I'm incredibly stubborn. And I will often make the same mistake twice or three times just to prove that my proof of concept was right, you know, and, you know, that, or my hunch was correct. But, you know, speaking of that particular property, I had this idea. I formerly worked as a contractor, you know, another nugget of wisdom, you know, is you don't have one boss, right? It, a lot of people say, I want to be a business owner because, you know, you're not going to have any bosses, but. As a contractor, you don't have one boss, you have 20 bosses or 30 bosses, right? You got project managers that are your boss that, you know, they're on vacation and you've got this deadline, et cetera, et cetera. You have so many bosses, so many people to answer to and timelines and deadlines. It was just, it wasn't what I wanted in life. It wasn't the way that I wanted to operate business. And I was at a point where I had to grow or change or pivot. And so I said, you know, what can I do that would be something that I can be my only boss and I can make my own decisions. I can, you know, timelines mine based off of my tolerance, my cash flow. What can I do? I'm going to go flip houses, right? That's what I say. I'm going to go flip houses. I'm, I know this, right? I, I'm a contractor, right? You know, I can figure this out. So I get with a friend of mine who was flipping before the 07 crash. And I say, Hey man, let's go in business. Let's do this. And he goes, all right, I got the money. You got the know-how on the construction side. Looks like a win a deal. Well, how are we going to get a deal? I don't know. Let's go find one. So I reached out to a real estate agent and it's what everybody tells you to do. Find an agent and they will go find a fixer upper for you. And they'll say, Hey, you know, go look at this one and let's make an offer on it. But agents don't understand dollars, right? They don't understand value. Excuse me. I am a realtor. Okay. However, 
in mass, most agents are transactional people, right? They don't understand the investing side. They don't understand the dollars and cents. There's so many costs that go into a property investment and selling it for more than you put in it, right? There's so much that goes into it. There's holding costs. There's, you know, bad decision costs. There's, there's so many things involved. And then there's the actual cost of what it's going to take to get it going. And you got acquisition costs. And so you really need to know how to run those numbers. I did not. Okay. So I said, oh, we can buy this for less. We know I put the renovation costs in there. I said, oh, all right. Well, there's a little bit of money up there at the end. So let's just, let's just go for it. My friend who was my business partner, he just said, all right, well, it looks good to me, right? There's some money on the top. Let's go. So, you know, in retrospect, that was like an 85% ARV deal. And so by the time that we got it all done, we couldn't sell that property and get any return on our investment. It basically was going to break even on that deal. And, it, and you know, we, it was supposed to be a summer job. It, you know, we bought it in March. We were supposed to be on the market in May. We didn't get on the market till September, you know, because we were all these lessons being learned. I tried to do too much of the renovation myself. It was just so many mistakes, right? So many learning lessons. But the one lesson that I learned more than anything else that I tell everybody is real estate's not construction. Okay. My stepbrother one time, he told me, he said, he said, I would love to get into real estate, but I, I don't know how to do all this construction stuff. I said, you'd be better off than me. I said, because you're smart and you know what you don't know and you and you would automatically source that out. I said, me, I, I think I can do everything and I try and it takes me too much time. And I'd be much better letting somebody else do all these little things than me just trying to do more and more of them. And I said, you'd probably be better at it than I would. He never did get into real estate, but the point, the principle is the same, right? It's not construction, it's real estate and it's investing. And you have to know your numbers. You have to be willing to stick to your numbers. And that was the best lesson that I learned in my first flip. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do it again. And that's what I did. <laughs> So just to put a bow on that story, what ended up happening with that property at the end? Yeah, we ended up putting a rent-to-own tenant in there and they didn't perform in the 12 months that they had to perform, which if you don't know what that means, they, a rent-to-own tenant puts a deposit down as an option fee to purchase the house at a set price in a certain amount of time and they rent it with the intent of owning it in a certain amount of time, otherwise known as a lease option. And they couldn't exercise their option at the end of their time, so we had them leave. They were smokers, which, you know, look, I'm a former smoker, man. I smoked for over 20 years. I have nothing against it, right? But it does stink, and it's not good for you. So if you're thinking about quitting, you should go ahead and quit. And I had to go in there, paint the whole house all over again. I had to de-smoke the whole house. So I basically did a full rehab on a house the first time, a half rehab on it the second time, and didn't get paid either time. The guy ended up selling it after our partnership was dissolved and, you know, I didn't get, I didn't get a nickel out of that except for experience. And, you know, that experience, I guess is worth it. I think a lot of people, when they have those experiences, just walk away, don't want to push forward, don't want to take the lesson away, which is still incredibly valuable. It stinks to lose money and lose your time, but those lessons you can, you can carry forward, you can apply that in the future and you have done that. I have, but I also, the other lesson that I learned that I took very seriously, and that is I slowed down. I slowed down and I put, and I put the horse in front of the cart and I got a mentor and, you know, I learned what it was that I didn't know because you're either going to learn with your money or you're going to learn with your time. 
And if you can employ somebody else to teach you the shortcuts and, you know, the things that you don't know, it's well worth your money and your time to just pay for that. And that's what we did. We paid for it. I, I ended up going into business with my dad briefly for a few years and, you know, we invested in education. And so, you know, we invested with Jim Ingersoll, we invested with Larry Goins in Lake Wiley, South Carolina. And, you know, those were our first two paid mentors. Yeah. Pretty prominent too, for those are, who are not in the Richmond area, which most of our listeners are spread really around the world. Jim Ingersoll is pretty prominent here and pretty prominent nationally as well, but everybody around here does seem to know and like Jim. So great. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Forrest, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. Great. First one. What is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Oh, man, you took it away from me. All right. I know. So the best investment that I've ever made is my investment of time with my wife. So we've been married 18 years, and it's the best thing that has ever happened to me. I got married at 29. I traveled around the world. I you know, got my kid out of me. And you know, when we got married, we just... We just worked it out. And, you know, my wife's from Malaysia. Her name's Adila, and she runs a really successful home staging company here in Richmond. And, you know, the first several years, we're learning how to be married, right? But we stuck it through, right? We had a commitment. And now, you know, she's my best friend. I mean, you know, we know everything about each other. We, you know, we've been, you know, we've helped each other when we're sick together, you know? I mean, like literally like in the hospital sick, you know? And it's just to have a best friend that's your spouse and, and to have it for so long where it's just, you know, it's unbreakable. That's the best investment that I've made. I love it. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? 2006, I bought my primary residence in Woodbridge. It was a townhouse and I got talked into the deal by a friend who was buying one down the street. He was like, come on, man, we were, me and a dealer were just getting married. And he was like, man, it's awesome. The market's so hot, man. It's only going to get hotter. You know, even if you don't want it, you can sell it before closing and make money on the deal. And it was construction delays. And by the time that we got it, we were already upside down. And at closing, we were already upside down in the deal. And we bought that townhouse at $525,000. I was able to suffer out for about three years of the $3,400 a month mortgage payment because I didn't put enough money down. And, you know, I got sick and got hurt and I couldn't do my construction company. I ended up losing the house. And, you know, that led wow. to a foreclosure and then that led to bankruptcy. And that was the worst, that was the worst decision I made financially. 
Wow. Well, a lot of folks were making mistakes around that time in real estate and you're you're not alone there. And Hey, and that's what's that happening. Hold on, like I'm going to pause that real quick. So that's what's happening in this market, sure. right? That's this market right now is everybody's getting to their house that we're at the top of the market. There are no money down loans, right? Now we brought the arms back again. So yeah, now it's not the time to do what I did. I can tell you that right now. Now, now it's the time to <laughs> stay where you're at and, you know, just be content and, and let the market I, settle I out. Certainly, certainly support that, especially with rates having gone up so significantly and, you know, debt service costs are much if higher, you, you know. If you can afford it and you have savings and, you know, you found a house that you like, buy it, right? But if you don't have any money, then you don't have any business buying a house, right? You have, I mean, this is a big investment. And so all, a lot of our customers, like I was telling you earlier, we had a customer that bought a house, didn't make one payment in the last five months. And we just, you know, took it over, right? Because she got injured and it was a no money down loan. So she couldn't sell, right? She had no options, no options whatsoever, except for our business being experienced enough to know a creative solution to help her out, right? So if you don't have money, don't buy a house, right? You got to be able to sell that house at day two and get out of it. You cannot plan on the future and planning on the world, you know, making your house worth more than you think it is or it presently is. You can't plan on that. That's not a solid plan. Great advice. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Don't stop. Don't stop. So once you get going and once you've, you know, you've staked your claim in this business, just go and go as fast as you can, as smart as you can without getting into too much debt, but don't stop, right? You know, I treated this as a hobby for a while. I bounced between the contracting company and real estate, you know, I would see my receivables are low. So I'd go and take a job or two, you know, as a contractor. And, you know, I just was treading water until I took it seriously. And I said, you know, I set the contracting company aside, use it as a resource, not as a crutch. And I said, this is my focus. This is where I'm going. I'm going to be a top real estate person in Richmond. And so, you know, that's where we are now. Awesome. And I'll probably mention this in the intro, but yeah, we've, uh, I've been attending your mastermind at the private airplane hangar and it's awesome, awesome space. And it's clearly working out for you. And Forrest, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing all these lessons with our audience. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? You can reach me at forcemcgee.com. That's my you know personal site. And then you can just you know say you want to connect with me or you can reach us at forcebosshouses.com if you want a solution. Awesome. But don't click the PPC link. Get well, stay away from the little thing that says ad. Ad money. Yeah. Yeah. Ads are bad. <laughs> right. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.